Welcome to the Writer's Source Podcast with Ufoma and Faith, the podcast where you get all the juicy content and hot topics on the myths and truths about writers and the writing industry, especially in Africa and around the continent. Hello everyone, it's another Friday and another episode of the Writer's Source Podcast. On today's episode, we have with us Achaligo Chioma Ezekobe. I hope I tried with the name. I'm so <laughs> excited about this episode because I've been looking forward to it since I saw Achaligo last week in the movement. So welcome, <laughs> Achaligo. Oh, welcome. you were there. Thanks for coming. Yes, you're welcome. Welcome, Great. welcome. Okay. Oh, welcome, Achaligo. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with us. Thank you. Oh, it's fine. Thank you too. Thanks for having me. Um, so guys, Achalugo is a writer, actress, producer, author, <laughs> and lawyer. She is the author of the play Daughter of the East, the winner of the third Beta Playwright Competition, BPC. Her debut novel is Mirinzo, The Ones Who Are Rain a fantasy novel on a breed of rainmakers and waterbenders. Now, Achalugo also produces at the Story Station, where she is the creative director, and she has also worked in radio, film, and stage. Guys, please welcome Achalugo! <laughs> <I'm wrong. laughs> so, um, Achalugo, it's not strange that we have been getting a lot of lawyers, um, writers, or actors, poets on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because we, the host, we are lawyers too. So we just kind of like attract lawyers to ourselves. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's nice to have another lawyer who is actually a writer. I must start by saying I recently saw a play that was directed by Duke Dada and produced by you, the movement, which was um, shown during the QFest 2021. Such a mm-hmm. powerful thing, especially um, the fact that you spoke about how it came in, like it was last minute for that, oh, mm-hmm. that self, and it was really beautiful. So for the guys at home that did not see the movement, you missed a lot too, because... I the think place, they did. Yeah, yes, they actually really, really did. They didn't see the place, so she's among the people at home. I missed. agree. I missed. <laughs> we so have to restate it on. soon, dude. So those of you who missed, don't worry. There's something else coming up for you. Okay. All right. You guys heard it here first. <laughs> so the movement of the story of the commission of police husband and his wife. And mm-hmm. just talk about one night and the argument about the head enters movement. So it's a whole lot of emotions and mm-hmm. it was really impressive because he talked about so many things. It reminded me about last year and this is October again, one year anniversary mm-hmm. of the enters yeah. everything that happened. And it was just so eye-opening because it was not just only about enters, it was about many problems that we are facing in the country today. And yes. we spoke about it in our last episode. The Independence Day episode with um, Tayo Asimbola. So yeah. guys who have listened to that episode, if you haven't listened, please listen to it. So actually, can you please share with us your process of becoming Halima? Because when I was in primary school, primary and secondary school, I used to like acting. But now I don't really think I can act anymore. I think I'm just someone who, okay, let me be on paper, let me create the characters. 
But how did you go about becoming Halima? Because I saw your Instagram post, you spoke about even after the play for a few days, you still felt like you were mm-hmm. Halima, you still had your hair wrapped and all that. Mm-hmm. What was the whole journey like to becoming Halima? Uh, it would be my second time playing a northern, um, a northern Muslim woman. The first time mm-hmm. that I did that, I played Sadia in the Africa Magic Telenovela on Broken. Oh, yes. I used to see that show a lot. I saw some episodes, but okay. I don't know anything. Yeah. So I, I did Sadia in Unbroken, and it's interesting that I got cast for it based on looks first. Okay. You know, I people a lot of people say that I look northern. <laughs> I don't know why, but yeah, I get that a lot. I think it did so, look like Halima. <laughs> yeah, so one, it was the look, and then two, of course, yeah, while the looks counted as for um, being northern, it wasn't just that. Anytime they're looking for a combination of a northern woman who has some evil affiliation, I think that's where I come in. So for Sadia, oh. Sadia was actually an evil woman who married a northerner and became Muslim. So which meant oh. that she needed to speak some evil, you know. So I think it just it was just a fantastic idea to get me. I'm evil and I could speak the language. And I could also look the parts of being, you know, Isadia. Then the second time was playing Halima for the stage play. And it was just reversed this time around. Halima was, was Fulani and married to an Igbo man. But she had learned the Igbo language from her husband. So once again, um, somebody who could speak Igbo was important and who could yeah. look the parts. And um, I think this time around, I actually had to learn some Hausa. So it wasn't a walk in the park. Um, the first thing that I did was I tried to get the accent, not like northern, northern accent, more of the accent when you're speaking the language. Because when you speak a language, it's important that your intonation, your inflections in the language are proper. I had to go do a lot of watching. Amina Mohammed, you would know her from the United Nations. She was giving to me as my prototype, so to speak. So mm-hmm. I spent days watching her on youtube i had to watch a lot of her ted talks i had to watch a lot of her giving speeches and i would watch um the way she would walk the way she would hold her hands the way she would you know basically i had to mirror her so it helped yeah it helped with the with the way i learned to walk there's a way i had to learn to keep my back you know straight as well my head high you know all of those things and these are little, little things that, you know, you take for granted. But when people come and watch the players and after the play, they're like, oh, I didn't know she was evil. Then it means you've done something right. Yeah, you know? So, yeah, I had to do, I had to do a lot of um, that as per um, character wise. And then for the lines, <laughs> we're speaking about 80 pages <laughs> of a script. So wow. it was a bit daunting at first because one, it's not like TV. TV, if you don't get it, they say cut and then you can take it again, you know. But yeah, with stage, yeah. you miss it, you miss it. So at the beginning, I was a bit worried. I was like, oh, am I going to be able to keep all these lines in my head? What's going to happen if I miss something? You know, but my co-actor, Charles, it to be he was fantastic. You know, Charles would say, you know, let's just read it over and over again. And if you know the story, even if you miss the exact lines in the script, you'll be able to recite in another way that still conveys the message. Yeah. You know, but with a, with a director like Judy Dada, <laughs> Jude, Jude is um, he's a little bit anal about getting it right. So 
it was really get it right or nothing, you know. So I had to go do the work. I barely had, I barely had six hours of sleep every night from the moment the script landed my desk. That's the truth. Uh, I would go for rehearsals. Rehearsals would take the whole day. I would get back home and I would have to work on certain corrections that were given to me at rehearsals and get them right before the next day, you know. So there was a lot of sleep deprivation. Yeah, but it was very good course. Yeah. Ah, uh, what again? Physically, physically, I had to take extra care of myself because it's a two-man play, which meant that nothing, absolutely nothing, had to happen to myself or Charles because there, there were no, there were no alternatives. If Acha fell sick on Thursday, there would have been no movement. If Charles fell sick on Thursday, there would have been no movement. So, being very aware of that. You know, I had to take um, extra, extra care. Already, I don't consume certain things. I don't take sugar. You know, I try to already live a healthy life. But I took extra care in terms of, I mean, I had my mask on more, even though I'm fully vaccinated. I was like, no, I don't want to become, you know, the statistics of those who are vaccinated but still caught COVID and put it in a bad way. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so I had to keep my mask on. I really didn't go anywhere else apart from rehearsal venue. I was like, look, I'm not coming for your events. I'm, I'm going to make sure I don't catch anything. You know, I was keeping away from mosquitoes. I was trying not to stress myself. I was doing exercises more. I was taking a lot more water. It's a, really, it's a whole lot of um, work. And sometimes the thing we act in is we tend to see more of the glam than the hard work that goes into it. Yes. You know, so, but I could go on and on, but yeah, that's it summarily as to becoming uh, Halima. Well done, well done. So it was really impressive. The work really paid off <laughs> because I yeah. was, I was so glued. I didn't even want the play to end. I went and ended up like, wow, this play. And I was really looking forward to meeting you at the end of the play, but it was late and I stayed oh, far away from the So I had to get okay. home. Okay. Yes. Thank you okay. for the wonderful performance. Thank you. So, so we've never had a playwright on the on podcast, and it's so amazing <laughs> that you're here. Okay. Um, Ashanuko, can you please share with us and our audience some tips to playwriting, and generally what you enjoy most about stage? And we would also <laughs> like to know about the work at Story Station. Okay. So just give me a minute. So that I don't okay. miss anything. I'm taking out your question. Tips okay. on playwriting, right? Yes. Tips to playwriting. Okay. Um, what you enjoy most about the stage. Okay. And what you do, your work at Story Station. Okay. Okay, so let's go. Um, the first tip that I'll give on story writing. It's so interesting that I I nearly cancelled today this podcast interview. And that's because I'm so tired. I had a class today. There's an exchange program sort of between the National Theatre of Wales and playwrights in Nigeria. So I was one of the three selected Nigerians for the program and I had just rounded up my session for today. So essentially we get to be um, taught by Nigerian playwrights from here and Nigerian playwrights from Wales. So 
I'm I'm just trying to say I'm fresh up with tips because I got a lot more today in addition to what I knew. The major <laughs> the major theme around the exchange program is truth and authenticity. You know, mm-hmm. and I would say that that's the first tip I'm gonna give, not just for playwriting but for any creative at all. You know, when you discover that you have a gift that you want to share with the world, you have a creative streak you want to explore. There's a temptation to go and pick you know people who are already in that space and try to mirror yourself around them you know some people want to be writers and they're like oh i want to be like a duplicate xyz writer which is not bad you know inspiration is good but just make sure that it is what it is make sure it's inspiration and not like you're trying to go and photocopy instead of being an original you know, so I tell people that I am influenced by the works of Uchiha Mecheta, Flora Mwakwa. I like their works, but I, I like their works for, for how authentic they are. I like their works for how vulnerable they are, especially Buchi, you know. So when I go back to my work, it's not like you read my work and it sounds like them, you know. So that's the first tip I'm going to give. One, be authentic. Um, two, learn the craft. Learn the craft. There are no short quotes. For any sort of writing that you want to do, in the past couple of years, it, it has taken me a lot of time. But And I can't believe it myself when I look back. But I can write prose. I can write poetry. I can write for stage. I can write for film. You know, But none of this came in a day. Absolutely none of this came in a day. So the first thing that I needed, that I needed to do was learn the structure of each one. There's a different way to writing a film script there's a different way to writing for stage there's a different way to writing a novel there's a different way to you know writing poems all of those things but learn the structure learn once you learn it you know it's easier for you to as i say bend the rules where you know the rules so learn it uh another tip that i would give is don't be afraid you know there are certain narratives that you may have but they don't sound safe to you you know, or it sounds like table shaking and you want to be that person who doesn't want to be cancelled. You know, I'd say don't be afraid. If, uh, you could, the first stage play that I produced was Threesome. It was Threesome. It was written by Judy Dada. I could produce that play and I recall how afraid I was. I kept saying, oh my goodness, what are church people going to hear when they find out that I'm producing a play called Threesome? You know, but like, um, <laughs> Like the lady sitting with you there who came for the movement, I'm sure she has seen that Idada's plays are multi-layered. You know, they tend to explore more than they look like. So at the end of the day, I just told myself, I was like, look, threesome is really exploring, you know, marriages, is exploring what could go wrong, it's exploring what happens when a spouse is neglected. You know, it's exploring, you know, forbidden desires and all of those things. And I think these are conversations that we are raised to shy away from in this part of the world, you know. So at the end of the day, I just say, don't be afraid. If you know it's good and you're not being obscene for obscene sake, because some people just like to, you know, create, they like to create stuff that, oh, I just want to be loud or I just want to chase clouds. No, make sure that you're doing something that you know, people are going to be better off for it after watching. Uh, another tip I would have for playwriting is try to do a lot more in the space apart from writing. You know, so for instance, my experience as a playwright is a, a little bit different because I've produced and I've acted. 
you know. So it's it's different for me when I now go back to my laptop to write. I'm writing and I'm like, hmm, what is it going to be like for the producer of this play? My first play, the one of the first um, critiques theme that it got was that it was there was a lot of setup going on. You know, the play opens in Ghana. And then the next scene opens in Nigeria and the next scene opens in Delta States. I mean, that's a lot of budgets and that's a lot of changing around going on on stage, you know. So I had to, I had to learn. I'm like, if, if you were the actor, how are you going to be able to move quickly between those sets? If you were the producer, how are you going to be able to set this up? If you were the set designer, how are you going to be able to build this up in type? So I had to learn. It helped me. Working in this other space has helped me to learn more effective um, ways of writing, you know. Um, what else will I say? Do as much further education as you can. Learning never ends. It never ends. If you have the opportunity to do, you know, like a, a master's degree in it, and you know you're really serious about it, Go ahead. And um, next question is, what do I enjoy the most about stage? The first thing I always say is, I enjoy the I enjoy the rawness of it. It's so raw. It's so raw. There's no there's no fine tuning needs. There's no you know sometimes you could finish shooting a movie and you're like, oh I don't like this, and you're like, mm, let's color grade it this way. Mm, let's tweak it that way. But with stage, what you see is what you get. Also, the feedback yeah. on stage is immediate. You know, and yeah. it's so immediate that sometimes if you're not paying attention as the actor, you could lose, you lose your focus. As they say, you lose yeah. that. <laughs> so, yeah. so for instance, on Saturday, um, during the movement, there was something I said to Usita and the lady who was, I think the first row, and she screamed something and she said something like, tell him, yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> and it was such a serious thing, but <laughs> I had it in my ear and I wanted to laugh. And I was like, oh my goodness, don't laugh, don't laugh. You know, <laughs> even the last thing when I was on the floor, gosh, people were saying all sorts. They were like, oh, hey, can you imagine? He's so sick. He's so... And, but I mean, I was supposed to be dead. <laughs> so I was like, don't laugh, don't laugh, don't laugh. You know, so, uh, yeah, I like the immediacy that stage gives you. I also like that, um, people can, you know, erases, erases, discussions with the audience right there and then. I mean, people are working out and then they're like, oh, did you see the digits? Oh, this is what I learned. Oh, that's what I learned. You know, it's, uh, it's a little bit different from some people come out of cinema halls and they don't talk about the films. Everybody's just watching spare cars. But there's something about a stage play that allows people, you know, they come out and because they've sat together through about one hour, 30 minutes of you know, in life experience, they just quickly forget all their worlds. They bring, it brings down the worlds and they're like, Oh, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. You know, so I like it very much. Um, unfortunately, the stage is, ah, uh, grossly overfunded. It's harder to, to seek sponsorship for stage as compared to other art forms. You know, people are more readily, um, what, what's the word? They would easily give money to fund a music concert, for instance, over stage, you know. So it's something that we're fighting for. It's something that we hope we, we could do it a lot more corporate body helps. We could do it a lot more people saying, oh, I pick this as my CSR, you know. Yeah. It'd be really, really, really interesting. Uh, and, um, Next question, my work at the Story Station. So yeah. Story Station, <laughs> Story Station, I literally call it my blood, sweat and tears. 
Um, because it's morphed over the years. It didn't begin as the story station. It began as a Chalugo Arts, and then it moved to a Chalugo Studios, and then here we are as the story station. I was at the I was working at the law firm when I trained in photography, and okay. I needed to register a business. I think you know studying law also sort of made me um more inclined to separating my personal bank accounts from my business bank accounts. And of course, I mean, I did it myself. I didn't have to go to any lawyers. I just sat down, did my CEC registration, you know. So I'm like, oh, let me register a business for the photography. And also, if you want to go far, you won't go very far if you're doing a business with your personal accounts. There are certain clients that I definitely couldn't pitch for until I had the need to see you as a serious, you know, corporate and they won't pay money into your personal account, you know. So I'm like, okay, let me register this. I registered as a photography business and it's going good. And then after a while, I'm like, oh, I, I also did a diploma in advertising, by the way. So I got to work in an advertising agency when I left the law firm. And I went okay. to the law, I went to the ad agency and I saw a lot more work with videos. You know, I was able to script TV commercials. I was able to direct some commercials, some documentaries, you know, and after a while, I'm like, Oh, I can actually add this to my services as a photographer. If I get a top notch video team, you know, let's see how that goes. Of course, I mean, we're able to speak now, but it wasn't all glamorous at first. So. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. And I'm now telling my, my photography clients that, look, I can also video for you. I can. I remember the first um, video I did for a client. It was for a very good company. And I wasn't paid for the video, but I, I wanted to show them that I could do it. So I got my video team and we did the event. And because I had worked in the ad agency, I knew what companies look out for after an event and their immediate, you know, like they want a, Immediately, they want photos that could go on the gram. They want a one-minute video for Instagram. They want like a three-minute video for IGTV. So I already told my, I'm like, look, we have to get this chop, 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 chop. And it was given to them the next day. And, you know, interestingly, they call me back and they're like, no, we want to pay more. It is so, it it sort of validates. And the more you do, the more you learn. I admit that in the beginning, I was crippled by fear. You know, I'm like, oh, I can't do this. Or, oh, I'm not good enough, you know. But I think over time, the same fear that cripples you, the fear of something else also enables you. I, I, I have, I think I have a fear of being broke. <laughs> so, so that I'm like, good no, I don't want to have to ask anybody for money. I don't want to have to, you know, so I'm like, Mm-mm. so when I'm afraid and I'm like, oh, I don't think I can do this. You know, the other fear of this, if you don't do it, you're going to be broke. I'm like, Whoosh, let's go. Let's go and do it. You know. Good motivation. Yeah, yeah, good motivation. You know, so, and then after a while, I was like, hmm, um, the business sort of, I mean, it was, there was an actual logo in the name and it made it a little bit difficult for me to send my team to places I couldn't go to. So for instance, uh, a client could want something videoed in Asaba and the same day I have something else video, uh, I have something else to do, say here in Lagos. So I tell the Lagos people, I'm like, oh, I'll send my team to you and I will take some team to Asaba. So the team that goes to Lagos, they're like, I mean, this is Achalugo XYZ. So where is the Achalugo? And you're like, oh, she's in Asaba. 
you know, so for them, it's a little bit of a letdown, you know, because yeah. it sort of looks like, I mean, the reason we hired was her. We want to see her. So after a while, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to um, rebrand, rename, re-register, and look for something else, you know, that is separate from me and also immediately tells what I do. You know, so I went and I kept looking and I kept looking. And there were two things that were important for me. If you look at my, my logo, which was designed by a very good friend, uh, his name is Ibu Kung. He, he also designed my book cover, you know, so once wow. it comes to design, Ibu Kung is my go-to. He's my go-to. He does really good job, you know, and I, I have absolutely no problems paying him whatever he gives me for it because it's what he's good anyway. That's me shouting out to Ibuku. But yeah, I told him, I said, <laughs> I told him, I said, I want a logo that depicts two things for me. One, I want to be seen as a light bulb in whatever business it, or in whatever service I render. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, it has to bring the spark. So I said, I want to show the spark. And I also want to see myself as sort of your final bus stop for what you're looking mm-hmm. for, you know. And then when I said that, I'm like, hmm, final bus stop. And then next I thought, I thought about was a bus station. So I'm like, okay, bus station. And then how do I bring the light, the spark to me? Then I'm like, hmm, the spark is the story, whatever story it is you want us to do for you, you know. And then the story station was born, you know, so I gave him the work and um, the logo is actually a light bulb sitting at a bus. I don't know. He, he just did such a fabulous job of it, you know. So, and every day I look at it. It reminds me of the work I've set out to do. And I'm sure by this time, I'm like, oh, what's this work we're doing? So essentially, Story Station, whatever it is as regards content development in whatever medium or, yeah, whatever medium. But currently, there are three mediums that we're really focused on. One is films, and one is okay. the other is books, and then the other is stage, you know, so... I'm like, whatever it is you want to do as regards this TV thing, the story station will do it for you and we can take it from start to finish. You know, so some people would want a stage play. If you come and say, hey, we want you to stage a play for us, we'll produce it for you. If you come and say, hey, we want to stage a play, but we don't have a script, we'll write a stage play for you and we will produce it. You know, So if, if you say it's film, we'll write your script, we'll produce if you want. Or we just write the script for you. There are movie scripts that we've written and we just hand them over to the clients and then they go shoot, you know. So whatever, whatever. And then for books, COVID hit us and it was COVID that made us say, oh, we can actually add um, book publishing to it. So we're currently working on our debut book. It's not mine. And I'm looking forward to announcing it. The book is currently in the final phases of editing. So... We're looking forward to that. And it's a whole new, um, it's not a whole new experience. Cause I mean, it's something that we've done over time, but we just haven't done for many. So this is like the first project where like, we're taking this like, uh, officially, you know, so we got the, what's it called now? We got the draft. It's moved through editors. We've got the book design covered. Because we sit down and we read the the draft and we're like, oh, what's this book really trying to say? How best can we depict it on the cover, you know? And then subsequently, we're going to do the prints, proper publishing and all of that. So it's, um yeah, it reminds me of that thing that they say, do what you like and you'll never have to work a day in your life. <laughs> but I, I don't think that's true, though. 
it's a lot of work. The only difference is yeah. it's work that I'm really, really happy doing. Like I'm, yeah. I wake up every day and I'm like, oh, I may be stressed out. I may be, you know, but I'm like, I have to do this today. And I would hit my, my work desk and I would happily, happily, happily do it. That's a lot of work. That's actually a lot of work. Oh, yeah. I want to quickly say that, you know, anytime I speak like this, some people say, oh, how do you get to do it? It's, it's a lot of work. What I always say is that we take on project after project. That's the truth. Okay. Otherwise, you're going to burn out. Because some people yeah. are like, oh, I mean, in the past um, two months, any photography work that required me personally, like if you insisted I wanted Acha and I didn't want Acha's team, you definitely wouldn't have gotten me. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. that's because I'm like, I need to remain in a certain mind space. I don't want to step out of that mindset, uh, mind space. I don't want to break it for anything, you know. And, but now that Halima is done, you know, I can go back and I can look and I can say, oh, okay, I can call you back if it's still open and say, hey, let's run this. Or just, you know, yeah. really move on to the next um, project. Before, I used to look at it as, oh, I've lost out on this. But nah, at the end of the day, there's something my dad used to say. He would say, if you were a hunter and you went into the forest and, you know, you shot five antelopes, you shot an elephant, you shot a lion, and then you carried yeah. all these animals home. You definitely won't finish them in one day. So what's going to happen is some meat is going to rot and you have maggots, you know. So I I tell people, it sounds like, it sounds like I do a lot of things at the same time, but I'm really, really particular about not biting more than I can chew. I hate burnouts. Burnouts are are terrible. It's hard. It's better to avoid them than try to recover from them. Very true. Very true. Oh, thank you. I'm inspired, I must say. Like, I'm really, really inspired. Oh. Because um, and I learned a lot from what you just said, talking about fear and everything you said, and I'm mm-hmm. sure I've gotten a lot to say. But sometimes I'm like this writing thing. Okay, at this point you feel you are on the right track, and then the mm-hmm. next thing you're like, are you sure you're doing the right thing, or are you sure you can actually do this? Are you actually <laughs> speaking about your small beginnings and fear and yeah. everything is actually inspiring. Mm-hmm. So yeah, moving on quickly, so we could take the time. Um, let's okay. talk quickly about your book. Um, okay. I'm very bad. With, my ego is bad. It's hard no, you, you pronounced it well the first book. time. You did good. <laughs> okay. Um, yes. so I must say I'm yet to read the book. Although okay. I've known, I follow you on Instagram. I followed you for a while. So I've known about oh. the book, but I'm yet to read it. My bad. I've not been doing a lot of reading. My writer said it should be taken from me, but I need to be better. <laughs> oh, okay. It's uh, fine. I've looked up some quality reviews about this book from some really well-known writers. Mm-hmm. And I've also seen them um, read synopsis. And it's just, it's different from what I normally read or what I normally mm-hmm. like. And I feel it's something I would really want to read and experience. Talking about fantasy fiction and mm-hmm. basically everything. So can you just tell us, why did you choose that story? Or is it the story <laughs> you had this now? But really... <laughs> Did you come about in the rain though? It's very, it's very African too, talking about rain yes. yes, and all that. I think if you've read it, if you've read it, you'd have asked a different question, you know, okay. the, the people who have read it and know me, the very first question okay. that they ask is, they say, Acha, why did you go write about yourself and give the character <laughs> some other name? <laughs> 
<laughs> so should be That's saying, what I've been I mean. abused of. <laughs> you know. And um, you know, for me, I'm like, well, in the beginning I was a, a little bit worried about that, you know. I'm like, hmm, you know, what's it like? Are people gonna think I'm telling my story and masking it in some way? Especially as um the entire book is really like a self the, the protagonist is coming into some self awareness as regards her identity and her mm. spirituality, you know. I mean, this is a book that, you know how in Nigeria people fall sick and they're like, oh, let's go and pray. Let's take them to the pastor, you know. Yeah. So this is a book where somebody has something similar and they try the church at first. It doesn't work. And then they're like, oh, so let's go the traditional way. And the book has gone the traditional way and not in a way that condemns. Because some people, you know, when they begin to write about African spirituality, it's from a demonizing perspective. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. they went to Babalao, oh, they went to this, oh, they went to that. And Mirinzo was not doing that. It was something I was very intentional about. You know, sometimes you know, if people have asked, they're like, oh, why? And I'm like, well, the first thing that, that, that made me set out to write it was when I also began some personal questioning. You know, I sit down one day and I'm like, so this church business, <laughs> how did it come about? If perchance the, the, you know, colonialists didn't cross the shores and come here, are we going to have Christians in Nigeria? You know, aren't we all going to, be, you know, haven't we been worshiping God in a certain way? And I have always, I do not deny it. I have always been interested in pre-colonial Nigeria in the way that we talked before the white man came, in the way that we worshipped God, in the way that we dressed, you know, those things have always fascinated me. I'm like, I need to explore this. I need to explore this. And, you know, when it was time to write the book, it was no different. I just went straight ahead and I'm like, I'm going to explore this. And if you're someone who questions, it's important that you do not question with a bias. Because some people, they say, oh, I want to go find out about the river goddess at Ubridi in Imo State. And the reason that they want to find out is so that they can tell people who worship the river goddess that they should not worship the river goddess. You know. So when you go biased like that, it's hard for you to learn. You're close-minded. It's harder for things to sink in. And you doubt things that even science, as we know it, cannot prove. You know, there are certain phenomenons that happen. And when you see it, because you're so close-minded, you're like, oh, no, 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 uh -uh. Is that not something, something in geography? Is that not, you know, blah, 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 blah. So yeah. it's, it's, yeah, so it's harder for you that way. So what I did with the book was I'm like, I'm going to question and I'm going to question boldly. You know, I'm going to assert what I can assert. I'm going to leave some things open-ended for the writer to, you know, figure out how they want those bits to end in their minds. You know, so the writing process, I started writing in Mirin Zoom. Book took me up about four years to write. Oh, wow. Yeah. I started writing in Mirin Zoom. I was working at the law firm. And it's interesting that the, the thing that, like, I remember the day I opened my laptop. So I was at my desk that day and it started to rain. Like, it was raining seriously. But the sun was also shining and shining fiercely as well. So I'm like, hmm, this is very interesting. You know, so I put my laptop and I begin and I begin to write about a girl who is a lawyer and is sitting at her desk and 
wondering why the the rain is falling and the sun is shining at the same time. And then, you know, before I knew it, my imagination went haywire. I'm like, oh, maybe it's because she's gifted. Maybe it's because of her, you know. And from then, I'm like, okay, let's go try this. Let's go. And wow. that was it, you know. And what began for me as I had thought to, you know, do just fantasy. But eventually, I'm like, if you're going to explore this, you have to give it some truth, you know. So I had to go do some real research. I had to go speak to some people, you know, people who, who don't go to church, who don't go to mosque. I'm like, oh, what do you, and they're like, oh, you know, I'm at, I, I, what's it called now? Like I, I worship God in the full African way, in the way of my ancestors. And like, tell me what that's about. <laughs> so with a little bit of um, questions here and there, you know, the book was done. Uh, I remember the first draft, I was so unsure about it. And then I met OKNDB. OKNDB is a favorite writer of mine. He wrote um, this book. Uh, why does Nina skip me now? I'm trying to. I, I've read the novel myself. Just hold on. I think I'm trying yeah. to. Foreign Gods, thank you. Yes, yeah, he wrote Foreign Gods. You know, so we met over someday and I'm like, hey, um, Prof. How was it like writing foreign gods? Weren't you worried about the reception? Weren't you worried people were going to judge you? I mean, you're Christian and all of that. And he's like, no, the writer is the writer and the work is the work. And I was like, yes, that's all I needed to hear. You know, so I went back to the work. I went back to the work and, you know, I finished it. And I would like to say that <laughs> finishing the draft is just the beginning. There are this group of people called editors. They are going to stress your life. <laughs> I had absolutely no clue. In fact, the editing process is another process entirely. You know, you finished your work. Oh, and you have to be humble. Like your editor can pick your work and say, hey, see, chapter one to nine, throw it in the dustbin. And you have to agree with her or him because they know better, you know. So the the book, uh, let me see, it's 28 chapters now. It was 30 something chapters before. And they're like, nope, okay. you have to trash that. And I'm like, ah, it's sending me. They're like, trash it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it got trashed. Um, what we have as chapter one now used to be around chapter six, you know. So, and wow. then the editor is like, no, bring it forward. Bring it forward. The action has to start earlier. Bring it forward, you know. And they give you good reasons. And it's not like they impose it, you know, where they're like, look, and they show you reasons. So if you're reasonable as well, and of course, you want the best work for your readers. You have to pay attention. Okay. So, but I'll say that after you go through the fire once, you know, you're not afraid anymore. <laughs> I'm currently working on another book. Um, it's a children's book and I'm, I'm more experienced. You know, there are certain things that I'm not going to repeat. My editor is going to have an easier time with me this time around, you know, because I'm, I understand her better. You know, she understands me better as well. You know, so I'm I'm working on that. I'm happy to be working on it. I'm excited about it. Actually, I'm working on another book. You heard it here first. <laughs> yes, yes. I have another book in the works. Uh, I'm not. I do. I don't like to say. Oh, this is the date it's coming out. So that if it doesn't come out, nobody's going to come and knock on my door. <laughs> it puts you under a certain pressure. But I have a novella yeah. coming out soon. Uh, I think wow. that's going to be just ebook. I can give the name okay. of that. It's called Boys on Jumping Trousers. Oh, that's you know. awesome. Yes. 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 The name. I love it. It's, um, it was second runner up for the Karamo um, Writers Prize. I think three it years was, ago. 
but yes. yeah, 2018. Yes, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the release. You know, yeah. uh, what's um, again? Yeah, that's that. <laughs> that's that about Mewing Zoe. I know you're going to ask me for Daughters of the East next. <laughs> uh, well, well, not, not yet. Okay. Not yet. <laughs> okay, so let's go. Next question. Um, so actually, I would like to ask because I love acting and stage and everything art. So I want to ask: How can a young talent interested in stage or film navigate the industry? Hmm. I think first things first. Um, first things first. You have to ask yourself why. If you're okay. there for the fame, if you're there for the money, you can as well do a quick U-turn. Oh. Wow. Yeah, but, <laughs> but if you're there for, what's the word now? If you're really there, you know, I sort of see myself as a vessel. You okay. know, I'm like, okay, I can write and sometimes I can allow my body to be used to tell a story. That's the way I speak. Yeah. It's all about storytelling for me. You know, so mm-hmm. for me, act, acting is still storytelling. It's just that this time around, I'm not holding a pen. It's my body, you know. So, uh, I would say, you have to follow the industry activities. For instance, we have theater festivals, you know, and during those festivals, there are acting workshops, there are writing workshops. So put your ears to the ground and go. And when you're there, you meet veterans, you meet other people who've been there before you. You can ask questions, you can get opportunities, some of this. And there are film festivals as well. You know, some of these festivals right there from the training, they get to pick some people. You know, they're like, oh, this person really shows promise, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, some people yeah. think that auditions don't work, but I, I know some really good production companies that, you know, they go by auditions. You know, so I would say mm-hmm. go for your auditions and trust yourself. I'm not, um, I, I would say that I'm nervous about auditions, you know, but I'm, I'm definitely not as nervous now as I was years ago. So with more practice, yeah. it's easier for you. Train yourself it personally. Train yourself personally. And in terms of find good resource, find good um, resource places. You know, there are certain YouTube channels that I, I go watch every day for acting. There's a handle on Instagram. I think it's called the actors something. I don't remember it now. But they have clips of actors, you know, talking about the craft, the experience. And I listen to them and I learn. And there are things that you have to practice every day, like on your own, you know, do monologues, pick a monologue. Don't wait for somebody to give you the work. Pick a monologue and yeah. try to say, oh, what's this monologue like? You know, what's it trying to tell? How how can I expand my retentive memory? You know, one thing that stage has, um, the discipline stage has given me is I tell myself if I get to film, like if I'm in a film, I, I don't want to be that person who is stuttering over lines and that's because the training that stage has given me is to learn my lines you know Mm -hmm. so you could go from stage to film take the lessons from both of them the lesson that i learned from from film that i took to stage was sometimes with stage because we see more of your body movements you know you, you tend to concentrate on learning gesticulations more. But I realized that acting is really holistic. You know, your eyes, your nose, your, the down, right to the tiniest parts of your body, they have to tell the story. So even though I'm on stage, you know, and I know that the person at the back, back, back cannot see my face, 
I don't tell myself, switch off your facial um, expressions, you know. And that's something that TV teaches you because it's more intimate. The, cam- the camera is closer to you. So you have to learn, you know, to express in those ways. So, you know, it's just a take this to this place, take that to that place, you know, and you learn. So I'd say, I'd say, yeah, practice on your own. Try and meet people. Be patient. Be very patient. You know, so it, it doesn't happen in one day. So be patient with yourself. Trust the process. Don't go say, oh, this is a shortcut way to eat. You know, no. Just do the work and trust the process. Trust Thank the process you. and go. <laughs> Thank you. So um, this is not a question, but just a quick one that I wanted to point out because it resonated with me. So while I was reading about your DPC name, DPC for Daughter of the East, um, yeah. I saw this quote from you and you said, um, I quote, there is nothing like when I write something and it can move mm-hmm. from being a folder <laughs> on my laptop to what mm-hmm. people can read and discuss. Yeah. It is evaluation that trauma you are doing mm-hmm. something right. And mm-hmm. this actually resonated with me a lot because there are sometimes, I know we've spoken about this in our previous episodes with some guests and even on solo episodes. We talk about how writers feel like they're not doing, uh, okay, some writers feel like we're not getting enough validation or nobody's mm-hmm. reading my work. But some, sometimes what, what, uh, we probably need is not just, it's not about the awards or the prizes, mm-hmm. but it's that feeling that you are being seen that someone yep. actually has what you're doing and when I read it I was just like yes this is exactly the feeling when you know oh if it doesn't have about have to be about a big price if there's someone reading your work and mm-hmm. entering your deal and saying oh I just read this I had that last week or two weeks ago someone mm-hmm. came on my Instagram and was like oh I just read the story on Asikondo and I really loved it and she discussed my story with me and I felt like when I was writing this, I did not know it was going to stir up conversations from people I did not know. But now mm-hmm. I get someone mm-hmm. like this. So it's just a good So to writers as well, just keep doing the work. You, uh, yes. you don't know who is seeing, you don't know who is watching, you don't know who is seeing it. Just keep doing what you love, putting the work like actually already said. Just keep doing the work and trust the process. The process. So, so I think Stace wants to talk to you about and something about being a lawyer, because she's been saying, ah, she wants to know how you do this lawyer thing and uh, yes. how you do that. So, from the yes. lawyer thing, yeah, moving on to the great things you do. <laughs> yes. So, um, recently you, you hosted Olaolu, who we will be having on the podcast soon. And okay. you, where you spoke about how you both are lawyers and authors. And mm-hmm. I, I believe you are no longer practicing. Correct me if I'm wrong. I no longer work in a law firm, yes. Okay. Yeah. But so can you share when and why you made this choice to follow the arts <laughs> even after getting a law degree? Well, true to that, I started from the arts first. Wow. I, I I got on TV years ago for the first time. And to show you how long ago it was, it's the defunct um, Minaj Broadcast International, MBI. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sure a lot of people don't know it now. You know, but I mean, that's yeah. how, far, that's how, you know, I don't know if you know, like DBN, those TV stations of those days, it was around um, the same yeah. era. Um, yeah. yeah. So we're speaking like 2000 and something, early 2000s, okay. you know. So it started from there. It, it was always there. I was always writing or in some drama place, you know, and I got on TV and I was like, oh, I want to do this. But at home, I think somehow 
you know, my parents, my mom especially, wanted me to be a science student. And I was like, De- definitely right. not me. You know? <laughs> and then I said, oh, I want to do theater arts. And they're like, no, you can't. I'm like, okay, can I do mass comm? And they're like, no, you can't. You know? <laughs> and for very flimsy reasons, when I when I think back, you know, like really flimsy, I think it was just like, uh, you know, sometimes parents are so worried for you. They're like, I want the best for my child. And yeah, these are hungry yeah. professions, you know. Yeah. So it's ironic that you, you go from not wanting your child to be in some hungry profession and then they end up being lawyers. I'm actually tempted to go and bring my bell. I have a bell. My mom's gonna bring it out ring like <laughs> you know. So but it was like okay well I mean if they don't want me to do theater arts they, they don't want me to do mass form. You know, what's something else I like in the arts? And you know, it was law for me. So I went in mm-hmm. for law. But I think it was clear that I wasn't going to be there for so long. Because even as an undergraduate, I was invo- I was already writing for magazines. I was hosting mm-hmm. shows. I was doing things that other law students were not particularly. I mean, they were at the library, you know, and mm-hmm. I would go to these other places. For me, though, I like excellence. So, I mean, even though I was very, you know, doing other artsy things, I was very big on my grades, very big on my grades. So I still read and I still did well, like really well, you know. So after, after, after law school, no, after undergrad, I'm like, okay, um, since I'm here, I think I'm going to, you know, be in this law firm where we're going to do like media law, entertainment law, you know, and it all sounded big and glamorous. And then, uh, because yeah, earlier on, I used to intern with a lawyer, Ifereo Ozako, he's late now, you know, and he, he ran an entertainment law firm, you know, so it was very inspirational. And I'm like, hmm, I could do what Uncle Ifereo is doing. But I went to law school and I was like, ah, I think law school is what slaps the reality into any Nigerian lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know, you go there and everything you've been watching on suits, you come and you're like, that's not it, <laughs> You know, it's a, it's a certain kind of heartbreak. Yeah. They're like, oh my goodness, this thing is not as, you know, as I thought. But I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'm like, okay. I'm letting up be said that you didn't practice at all. You know, so I, I went on to a law firm and I went to practice. But as I was practicing, I was studying for my diploma in advertising. Because I'm like, I need yeah. an exit plan. <laughs> you know and my exit plan i didn't think i didn't i didn't think at the time that i would like go full entrepreneurship so my exit plan was i needed something to enable me work in another space and that was yeah. what the whole diploma in advertising was about you know so it's, it's turned up good there are days of course that you ask yourself what am i doing oh <laughs> yeah i mean there was a time i think uh, a couple of years ago <laughs> My friend was so upset a couple of years ago. I, I can't remember what happened. Probably I broke like some of my camera um, equipment and it was hard replacing them. You know, dollar, I mean, climbs every single year. You know, so at the time I'm like, ha, because I'm not going to kill myself. And I just had my CV and I went back to a nine to five, you know. So it's something that he's like, why did you do that? You know, and I'm like, I needed money, please. I was tired of sitting in some place. And then waiting 
And then I'm sure you guys saw this thing about a photographer recently where I think he was offered like 10% of what he would normally charge and they still didn't feed him at the event. <laughs> you know? So it just reminded me and I'm like, this is so, it's hilarious. But yeah, these are things that can happen. The thing with entrepreneurship is there are dry spells and if yeah. you do not have, if you do not have the resilience for the dry spells, it could be quite daunting. You know, it could be like, please, let me just dust and go back to what I knew, which is the salaried life, you know. So yeah, I, I had that. I jumped, I jumped ship one time, but I mean, that's, I'm, I've never jumped ship again after that. So if it, and I think, um, when you, when you tell yourself that, oh, if it doesn't work out, I'll just dust my CV, it sort of prevents you from being more creative in, you know, making yeah. it work out. So now I'm like, oh, this didn't work out there. Okay. What else can I do in this space? That's you know, you sit down, you know, you're, you're crafting more ideas. I mean, like currently, um, there's a stage play I've looked at and I think it's so, so fabulous. You know, it was written by Judy Dada as well. And it's been staged wow. before. It's a play that explores, you know, um, urban, what do you call it now? Yeah, I would say urban, urban migration. You know how people go and they tell you, oh, you can go to, you can go to Europe through the desert. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what the play explores. Some guy who goes from Benin and travels across the desert and really believes that he's going to get to, as they say, Obodo Yibo. So uh, it's such uh, a, it's such a brilliant play. And I think more people need to see it, you know, in terms of what it addresses, human trafficking. It addresses the Japa syndrome. Like I need to leave Nigeria. I need to leave Nigeria. You know, it addresses yeah. the get rich quick syndrome. Like I need to make it a warm blow, you know, stuff like that. Okay. And I think that these messages that we're trying to pass across, they're more effective when you hear them as a younger person. You know, as they say, you cannot learn to be left-handed or right-handed in your old age. So, I mean, recently I've been looking and I've been saying, hmm, it would be so good to have like a high school tour of this play. You know, have people who are in SS3, you know, watch this play, have people who are in year one, year two, you know, like begin mm. to create these conversations from them before the people with the negative conversations meet them. Mm. So I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do. What's the best way to go about it? I need funding. I want to do this. What bodies can I need? You know, how do I get, how, what schools am I going to? What is the plan? How do I travel the play? You know, these are things that I'm thinking about. And I'd like to point out that, you know, profit is good, really good. But I like that in addition to profit, I'm also driven by another hunger. And that's legacy. It's something yeah. that is not comprom like no compromise. I will not compromise on it. I want to create works that outlive me. You know, and that's because, like I mentioned Buchi earlier, Buchi, um, Buchi Mecheta, I mentioned Flora Wakba. I mean, there's the Chinua, there's Shakespeare. These people are people who have been dead, but we're still mentioning their works, you know, so there's, yeah. they, they did something right. And that's the sort of thing that I want to do, you know, when years from now, you're like, oh, you know, she wrote this, she did that. She, that's the sort of 
think that drives me as well. Yeah. Thank you so much, Atalico. We've had a wonderful, wonderful time speaking with you. Thank so, you. And uh, we learned so, so much. Like, there's a lot of take home, and I'm so grateful for this episode. Thank you for coming on on short notice and actually your visit. Thank you. Thank you too. So guys at home, please <laughs> listen to the episode <laughs> and Thank follow you. us on our social media platforms. Remember to subscribe to our newsletter and we'll see you again next episode. Thank All right, you for well joining done us. for the work that you guys are doing. Well done. It's really Thank brilliant work. Thank please you. don't stop. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Kindly follow us on our social media platforms at the Writer Source Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And do send us a mail on the Writer Source Podcast at gmail.com. Keep listening to us across the various platforms, basically everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Podcasts. Do favorite us on Anchor and we would love to see your ratings. The Writer Source Podcast is hosted by Ufoma and Faith and produced by DigiLaw.